When I was in seminary, one of my favorite classes was preaching. This was not because I thought I was a gifted and inspiring preacher, on the contrary. Painful is the best word to describe the so-called constructive criticism sessions that took place after students had stood up in the seminary chapel's pulpit or in the crossing and preached one of their very first sermons. These sessions were unflinchingly honest, a real blow to one's ego, a true exercise in humility. And it didn't stop there. Sometimes when hard copies of my sermons were returned to me by the professor, there was so much red ink all over them that it looked as if a lamb had been sacrificed. <laughs> there was a real reason why that class was referred to by seminarians as read and bleed. <laughs> no, I loved this class because of the professor. At the time, he was a parish priest, and later he would become a canon at the National Cathedral, where he was a regular in the pulpit. And preaching was one of just many of his many gifts. It was just one of his many gifts. And when we seminarians would complain about some of the more challenging biblical passages he'd assign us to preach on, he'd smile and sigh and say, you can't preach on the Beatitudes every Sunday. <laughs> someday, he'd continue, someday you're going to be a parish priest preparing a sermon. You'll look at the assigned readings for that Sunday and ask yourself, what on God's green earth were they thinking when they put this passage in the Sunday lectionary? <laughs> and at that point, he concluded, you'll have to do the best you can to understand and interpret the scripture. And you'll need to work together with your congregation to find its inner meaning and strength. Well, my brothers and sisters at St. Anne's, that Sunday has finally arrived for this particular <laughs> priest. And incidentally, that seminary professor from two decades ago, he's now the bishop of this diocese, <laughs> Bishop Eugene. Now, to say that several of today's readings are challenging would be an understatement. But as the collect of the day reminds us, our blessed Lord caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning and we are called to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. So let's take a look this morning together. True, the passage from Isaiah and the canticle were uplifting with, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people and sing the praises of the Lord, for he has done great things. But before we knew it, in Paul's second letter to the people of Thessalonica, we were told that anyone unwilling to work should not eat, and cautioned to keep away from believers 
who are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. And then, then the piece de résistance. In today's gospel passage from Luke, which Kathy was brave enough to proclaim to us, we see a Jesus who tells his followers of a time when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. A time when nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. A time of earthquakes, famine, plague. A time when people will be arrested and persecuted and betrayed by parents, friends, relatives, siblings. Some, Jesus tells us, with a glimpse of self-revelation, some will even be hated so much that they will be executed. So how do we, as Christians, feel when faced with such dire warnings of doom? My seminary professor was right. Scripture isn't just the Beatitudes, as wonderful as they are, it's a whole lot more. But there are some clues, and one of those clues today, I believe, is timing. So let's try to follow that clue together and see where it leads us. Timing plays an important role in Paul's second letter to the people of Thessalonica. Although biblical scholars debate Paul's authorship of this letter, and thus its approximate dating, it appears to be addressed to relatively new converts to Christianity, people who believed that the second coming of Christ was imminent. It could happen at any moment. Some of these new Christians seem to have decided that since Christ could come at any instant, there was no point in doing anything long term. Instead, they waited and watched for Jesus to return and bring, bring in the fullness of God's realm. But what really appears to have irked the writer of this letter, however, was not the waiting and watching in and of itself, but rather what the good people of Thessalonica were doing with all of that free time. They were busybodies, gossiping about their friends, neighbors, and former co-workers. And there are few sins more damaging than gossip, especially in the life of the church, the author seems to be telling us. Timing also plays a role in today's gospel reading from the 21st chapter of Luke, which is probably compiled around 75 AD, roughly 40 years or so after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and at approximately the same time as the destruction of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. Although Jesus' apocalyptic words are in response to his followers' comments about the beauty of Herod's temple, I believe he is really referring to what will occur before the second coming rather than Jerusalem's eventual destruction. 
Jesus puts the end times in context. Destruction of the world as we know it is not imminent, he reassures his followers. For the divine plan has more phases, more secrets to reveal in God's time, not our time. And finally, the timing of these passages in the church calendar is not, I think, a coincidence. The liturgical year is rapidly coming to a close. Today is the penultimate Sunday of our church year. And with Christ the King Sunday next week, the church year will end. Without the fanfare and exuberance of secular New Year's Eve festivities, we as Christians will silently slip into the season of Advent. A new church year will begin. The cycle will start anew and we will prepare ourselves quietly, contemplatively, reverently for that miracle of all miracles, the birth of our Lord. So in the context of the church calendar, time is quite literally running out, which perhaps explains the sense of urgency behind today's readings. Indeed, let's get our priorities straight seems to be the direct pointed message that we've heard today. The challenge for us as 21st century Christians is how best to incorporate this sense of urgency into our modern spirituality. For the fact is that we live in very distressing times. Hurricanes, exacerbated by climate change, have devastated parts of our country in recent months. Monsoon rains and melting glaciers called, caused catastrophic flooding in Pakistan this past summer, killing thousands and displacing millions. At one point, one-third of that country was underwater. COVID-19 Ebola, monkeypox, HIV-AIDS, and other diseases continue to ravage communities all over the world. The fact that more than 100 civilians were killed recently and over 300 injured by a double car bombing in Somalia's capital of Mogadishu barely merits a headline in the newspaper and suffering and war continue in Ukraine as winter draws near. And when was the last time that you heard anyone say, peace in the Middle East, without at least an air of despair in their voice? So that message to Thessalonians long ago and to us today, across space and time, comes across loud and clear what we as Christians are doing right here, right now, is important.
It matters how we model our Christian faith in the world, whether in a first-century port city on the Aegean Sea or today in a state capital in Maryland that dates back to the colonial era. The scripture for today reminds us to attend to the important things of life, remembering the demands of justice and the invitation of a radical love. And we should do whatever we can to contribute to the well-being of the community, both right here at St. Anne's and as we ever expand the circle out into Annapolis, our nation, our world by loving our neighbors as ourselves, by respecting the dignity of every human being as our baptismal covenant requires of us. Our mortal lives are short, so we should make haste to carry out God's will that we love one another and do justice, always aware of God's loving gaze upon us, of God's forgiveness and unconditional love as we step forward in faith with God's help. Now, none of this is to say that along with caring for others, we cannot take care of ourselves too. Indeed, in order to keep our hearts soft and alive to God's presence, it's important that we take time to rest, to ponder, to pray, as we will soon be invited to do in the contemplative season of Advent. The St. Anne's and the St. Philip's contemplative prayer groups are planning just such an opportunity to rest, ponder, and pray with a special Advent quiet morning right here in the sanctuary, Saturday, December 3rd. I commend it to you. However, the sense of urgency in today's scripture reminds us to live with confidence, not anxiety, trusting that our words and our actions will be the necessary ones for the strife-torn world in which we find ourselves. And we should always remember that we are not called to utter words and take action as Christians on our own. Other believers are with us. Jesus guides us. And God works powerfully within us to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. And as we heard in the passage from Luke, Jesus assures us that we will be given words and wisdom. And he promises that not a hair of our heads will perish. By our endurance, we will gain our souls. That is the good news, I believe that comes to us from today's challenging readings. That is God's promise to us all. Amen. <laughs>